Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast, a vibration in the time-space continuum, communicating the wisdom, reflection, and awareness direct from the mouths of authentic truth seekers and spiritual warriors. These conversations are empowered dispatches, co-created to uncover how we as individuals can move into healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way. Sit back, quiet the mind, and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. Chase Tollison is a big dude. I mean, he's physically big and energetically, he is even bigger. He is the owner of Ardent Fitness, the Primal Man Pathway, a program designed to help men reclaim ownership over their mind, body, and spirit in order to escape the rat race. And he is the co-host of the Get and Lifted podcast. And he has this big full back tattoo of the abracadabra triangle in Aramaic, which automatically elevates him to warrior king status in my book. And it's an honor to have him here today. Welcome to the show, Chase. Thank you, brother. I, I appreciate that. That was a, a a heck of an intro. And yeah, thank you, man. I honored to be here and I'm pumped up after that intro. So thank you. Sweet. Yes. So to kick it right off, I want you to imagine you're you're in your gym and you've just PR'd your deadlift. And this dude comes up to you and he's like, Well done, Chase. Who are you and why are you here on this earth? Mm. This is something that's fluid for me. Um, you know, if somebody asked me that question seven years ago, it would be a different response. Uh, and as of today, who I am is a mystical giant. Um, and it felt that that aligned with how you talk about the energy being bigger than than the physical body and i'm a philosopher i like to look at things i like to observe i enjoy seeing life from the outside in and in that vein i what i what i feel called to do in the present moment is to use that gift to give men the clarity to do it for themselves and the way that I do that is via lifestyle and fitness. And if we get into it, microdosing and plant medicine, those are higher level things. Well, where I start individuals is around taking control of their movement and lifestyle practices. And also, um, I say also because most people think it's an also, it really is the thing, uh, owning their identity and the language and the stories in their head. Yeah, that's... That's a, a powerful presence to have on this planet. And I imagine in your journey to becoming the mystical giant that you are, there was that first fracturing of identity of who you thought you were into who you were becoming. And I'm curious what your awareness of that first fracturing was. Ooh, the first one, we'd have to go back. Having trouble recalling if I shared this story with you at the summit. So this may be a new one. And it, it was 
at LSD with one of my buddies. And we, I was 17 or 18, and he was like a year old. I was 17. He was 18. And it was uh, like a Saturday night in the summer, and we had arm field, played around in a band, like recreational kids playing with acid. And one of our buddies texts her, we calls us, he's like, hey, you guys can come chill over here, you know, finish your night out. Cool. It was about a two-mile walk. We were going to walk to his house. As we're walking, 2.30 in the morning, I slap a leaf on a tree on the side of the sidewalk. Instantaneously, a car alarm goes off like a mile away. I'm like, oh, it's like it's only to look, but not to touch. And as I say that, the weirdest, most warm gust of wind blew up right in our face. About 30 seconds after that, walking down the sidewalk. Like, different we put it you know it, it, it's we're walking past different stuff but it's all the same because we all we put it all here and as i say that 15 feet in front of us a rabbit runs across the sidewalk so all of these little synchronicities were going and we got about halfway to our buddy's house and we forgot where we were walking we turned around we went back and we're sitting in my parents backyard and i, I lay the context of those synchronicities so we can have an idea of what kind of night this was. And we sit down and we start going philosophical, man, life's just one big circle or a bunch of circles. Little did I know I was onto like the hero's journey thing before I ever knew who Joseph Campbell was. Um, and, and I sit back for a second after some of this back and forth with my buddy and I start staring at the stars and it was like this zap. And I sat up, I was like, dude, and to this day, I still get head to toe chills talking about this. I had it like the thing the, the 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 golden nugget that we're all chasing. Like, why are we here? What are we supposed to do with these meat suits while we're on this plane? And I sat up and bro, my phone vibrated and just reached down, clicked the volume button, silenced it. And it was gone. Somebody or something was like, oh, whoa, who's this kid? How'd he already find that? That's not for him yet. And that phone was a distraction. Um, and when you ask what was the, the, the turning point, it, it, that was the, oh, I know that there's it out there. And now I'm going to start asking some questions. Yeah. That, that synchronicity, the, the synchronicities Carl Jung um, describes as like these little signs that we're on the right path and to continue getting curious. And what you're describing to me is like that, that first connection with the divine presence that's like, oh, this is something that I can tap into. And what is the potential if I learn to tap into this more and more each day with plant medicine and even in the absence of it? And how can I get curious in you know shifting my life to be more and more in connection with this divine presence i'm currently working with an intuitive i did a past live session with her and she you know apparently i was a famous philosopher uh which was very cool it makes sense if you if anybody who's here heard me talk <laughs> or you know has listened to the first few minutes of this podcast also apparently i had a life as a monk like Tibetan monk, 
monastery that was like hidden in the mountains only for the chosen. I could levitate. I could astral project and appear as a ball of light to people to act as a spirit guide. Landing this lifetime as a monk, I cried spontaneously twice. Didn't know where it came from. It was like I realized that I remembered something I didn't know I missed. So after that session, I, I meditated on it. I reached back out to her. I was like, hey, I see you do one-on-one -on -one coaching to develop intuitive abilities. You know, if my soul has been there before, there's likely something to get into here. And I've done, it was a couple of calls, with just me and her. Um, I believe we've had six calls now, two calls of remote readings. And on those remote readings, like, and this stuff comes through and your logical brain tries to destroy it. My logical brain tries to destroy it anyway. She's like, okay, what's this person of food that excites this person? I'm like, uh, chocolate or ice cream, chocolate with rainbow sprinkles. Sure enough, this kid, every time he goes out for ice cream, chocolate with rainbow sprinkles. I've done two live readings over the phone where it's three-way call, one of her standing clients, her and me. And the first one went really well. Um, the lady, we got done. The lady said at the end, I'm blown away by your abilities. The second one was last Tuesday. And Dude, I, <laughs> uh, when you talk about being there without plant medicine, I, and I'm so glad this is your podcast and it's, there are some people that would, this guy's crazy. And I was doing this reading and I called this woman's guide in to work on her second chakra and Krishanti, my mentor, she's like, well, can you ask her guide? You know, what, what's up with that? Why is it closed off? She's like, call your guides in to, and I called my guides in. And I, next thing I know, like I have a moon pot bean bag in the corner over here in my office. And I sit in it when I'm on these calls. I couldn't feel the bean bag anymore. I was spinning, tumbling through space. And I like multiple times checked in. I'm like, nope, can't feel, nope, can't feel my body. And I got quiet and Krishan just like, what's up? I'm like, well, I'm sideways right now. Um, the fire hose that my guides sent of energy knocked me right on my body. And I, had, I hadn't interacted with anything in well over 48 hours. So when you talk about being able to get there without plant medicine, that's real. Yeah. I, I imagine that when people look at you, they, they have this judgment of like, Oh, this is a weightlifting dude. This dude is like very much into the physical and um, knowing you and having, you know, the, the conversations that I've had with you, it's, it's really fucking awesome to, to hear all of this um, deeply reflective understanding of the spiritual in connecting with your guides, with this, this past life regression. What, what are things that you have downloaded from these experiences that you, you know, very much in the present are taking into your next steps from the, you know, oh shit, this is a remembrance of who I was from incarnation to incarnation that you are able to like, we talk about integration that you're able to pull from, oh, these are lessons that I've gone through. Now I can step into taking action on them in the context of my present life. Definitely. Uh, awesome question. I, what Mike Schwartz has co coined some of my mic drop moments. 
you know, uh, things like if you seek first to be under, if you want to be understood, if you seek first to be understood, you will find confusion and turmoil. If you seek first to understand, you will find clarity. Um, some people go out into the world to find themselves. Others go into themselves to find the world. Things like the colloquialism, life happens. Life happens. Life happens. Does it happen to us or by us? Life happens by us. And those little pieces like that. Uh, and here's a fun one. This is my most recent download. And it, it came in the form of, I would, I would love to share this story of what it was, it was a psilocybin download, which a lot of mine are uh, moderate doses of psilocybin and journaling or uh, introspective sessions. And I took my dogs for a walk and my dogs took me on a longer walk. And on this walk, we saw, dude, we walked by this pond and there's a swan and around the swan are geese and ducks and all kinds of waterfowl, like a, like a meeting of the birds, just like centered around this swan saw this owl that swooped down right over us, saw a bunch of white-tailed deer, like got to interact with the world. And we come back around and the, the way this walk goes, we looped back around like the entrance of the path that we went on to see all that nature. And that was when I articulated that it is not the level of opportunity that separates the successful from the unsuccessful. It is the awareness of and the opportunity and the caliber and swiftness of action taken. And that awareness to me has been the biggest piece. When you talk about integration, it is the ability to observe and be aware of what is right in front of us. Mm. A lot of what I get, particularly with psilocybin, with that you know expanded lens that I receive when I'm with the medicine, is that like exactly what you described in seeing nature as this fluid organism that I am a speck within mm. to, to interact with and also to experience in its beauty and to like, to be in that space of joy is, is truly profound to, to sit in it. I, I microdosed and went for a trail run up in, um, it was Golden Gate State Park and in running I felt within this like forest space, within all of these younger pine trees, I felt like I was one with the forest. I was in the forest and I was moving through the forest and I was also the forest. And that, that presence, when we're able to take that from our, you know, being, being in that, within that expanded lens of reality to bring that into a coaching call to bring that into a podcast to bring that into our interactions day to day that understanding it allows us to have so much more grace we get to have this grace towards ourselves this grace towards other people because ultimately it's a it takes us into that 20,000 foot perspective of like oh i am both eternal and mortal and get to have that paradox of existence and be in the present moment within that. To walk both worlds. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I believe it was Alan Watts that I heard talk on it. He's like, yeah, this is all a game. Like 
And, and when you have the awareness of it, there can be this, why do I need to play that game? And it's the, the true mastery comes in being able to walk in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And having that awareness makes taking the messy action, taking that next step so much easier because it's like, oh, this is, this is a simulation. This is a story that I'm operating in, you know, or a, a conglomerate of stories, a, a confluence of stories that are making up my reality. And how do I get to create each of those stories moment to moment in a way that is serving my connection with my soul self coming back to that remembrance of who we were in this eternal form lifetime to lifetime and i imagine in working with this intuitive and working with this past life regressionist it's really helped you to move into that soul connection perspective of bringing that awareness in in that work how how has that shaped your your coaching um and your your immediate relationships, your, both your personal and your business practices? Mm. That's a great question. Uh, and one that, uh, you know, how has all of this, this journey shaped my relationships is something that I had yet to fully sit with. So this will be a fun, a fun dive. Let's fucking go. It was interesting. You know, I, Luckily, in lifted level two gives me the space in myself to say things like this. Otherwise, it feels like bragging. You're like the twentieth, like spiritually connected person that goes, "Oh yeah, you're you have powerful energy." Integration for me is, is sometimes feels like it happens so quick that it's like, "Oh, what was that?" Mm-hmm. Um, and after that past live session, I sat and I meditated with, and I was like. Oh, that was a level up through and lifted and other pieces. There was already this base level of awareness of being present and asking questions and holding my breath. And that deep remembrance that came through added a whole new layer onto that of being able to fully step outside of my story and be there as a as as much of a clear lens as possible. It's it's so interesting. I was having this talk with my father the other night that like what I what I'm extremely passionate and fueled by right now is pure observation. Just observing the moment and picking up on the little things that that create the next thing. Mm, yeah. Pure observation to me also comes with the the white belt always a white belt as Zach Evanesh says being that you know constant learner and coming to things with the child's mind in this in this space of curiosity in this space of like wanting to know absent the ego absent the critic and to absorb that and then you know, bring in the reflection of like, all right, what is the wisdom based on this stimuli that I'm receiving that I get to respond to? I want to shift a little bit into, because I'm, I'm curious what people who are deeply tapped in, who are deeply connected with themselves, with their bodies, with, you know, radical self-ownership, 
what their experience was of the past two years. So I want you to reflect back to where you found yourself in March of 2020 and in experiencing the, you know, the mass formation psychosis, the fear virus that we have been in, in the collective consciousness um, as this major catalyst, what was your processing of that coming into the pandemic and then coming into where you find yourself now? Awesome question. And this will be a fun story for a backdrop. I had always considered myself uh, at, at the tactile, like practical level, like an extreme libertarian. I'd take over the world and leave people alone, you know? Uh, and, and as I've dove more into this awareness, it's, it's like, well, was that libertarianism or was it like this inner knowing journey? And that's a different conversation. January 2020, my family and I were in Punta Cana. We're like, man, you see this COVID thing in China? <laughs> Look, the CIA, like we actually crack jokes like, oh, the CIA planted a virus in China so they could dismantle them, you know, like, and then it kept slowly. Little building. did you know. All right. Yeah. That, yeah. And actually, they actually did. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, March, the, it was the weekend before the shelter in place took effect in Illinois. And I do believe like California may have already been there. Uh, we were on a ski trip. My, my dad, my brother, uh, my brother's father-in-law and a couple of his relatives at Breckenridge. I believe we were at Breck. Um, in Colorado and we're out there and we show up, uh, we ski Friday, we ski Saturday and we were going to ski a half day Sunday and take a late flight back. We turn our ski rentals in on Saturday and they go, Oh no, you're not picking these up tomorrow. They shut down the Hill. They actually shut down all of summit County. As we're sitting in our Airbnb Saturday night, trying to get a, a different flight back and earlier flight seats are literally disappearing off the map. We get to the airport and Denver airport, you know, they have the, the escalator that goes down and you have these trains from the main entrance to each terminal. There were like three train loads of people on this platform. So we took a whole bunch of people out of open air ski resorts, shut them all down at once and then pack them into these tiny trains and then into these airplanes for their safety so they wouldn't get sick. That made a whole lot of sense. So um, I went, came back here. You know, the gym was, you know, we were running the gym. A couple of members had already checked out, um, buying into the fear. And, you know, cool. Your own story is, is right by you that have fun. Um, and the next week, we went into a shelter, a two-week shelter in place for Illinois. It ended up being three months, and uh, it was interesting because from the start of that, I was like, "Yeah, I'm still going to my gym to work out, and I'm still having personal training clients in for anybody that wants to." And we did. We had held personal training sessions. Uh, we were in there working out. You know, other gyms that I like, two other local gyms had cease and desist put on their door just because the coaches were in there working out. No clients, just like people who had keys wanted to go in and work out. Uh, we, we did not have any trouble like that. We went through that, and it was interesting running a fitness business through all that. You, know, you, you could see it from other people. And at the same time, 
we had zero cases contracted at my gym up until we shut down in December of 2021 at the end of the month, you know, at the end of last year, we had zero cases contracted at the gym because it's almost like when we take care of ourselves mentally, because we practice the language stuff inside that gym and physically weird, our immune system does well. So I took a, I did not get very vocal about it. I understood that everybody has their own stories. And from my own lens, I was like, yeah, um, no, I'm good. Until I start seeing like people bleeding out their eyes, like this isn't a plague. I'm going to keep going about my life because being scared of dying is not something that I do. Did you find that it created a strong interconnection between the members of your gym um, having almost to a certain degree, like having that, um, the strength, the strengthening of the, of like the, the microbacteria or of the culture, because it weeded out the people who were more susceptible to the fear, to the contraction that was, um, being spread around in the collective, in the mind. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question and very astute observation. Uh, because most definitely there were the individuals that left were also the individuals that were more likely to complain or more likely to, you know, be hit or miss on their attendance and the results. Like the people, some of the people who left, it was most definitely a, well, I'm barely going anyway. And now I have an excuse. Uh, so it, it did. We, the last almost two years that we were open, you know, a year and a half plus we strongest community vibes that we had um and, and some of the most fun classes highest energy so yeah most definitely going into the more like personal and vulnerable area like what was your own personal processing of like oh this is this is something that is gonna it's like the black plague it's gonna wipe out one third of civilization to like, oh, the death rate is less than 1%. And moving from that, like tuning into the fear of the collective to like, oh, I can take, I get to take responsibility for what my own experience is and really use coming back to that child's mind, that curiosity to decipher the truth from what I'm being told what the interest of the power structure is to put onto me, to put me into the space of contraction so that I can like really come back to a space of sovereignty over what my reality is. Yeah, I, um, it was from the beginning before the shelter in place and everything. And I had this conversation with my brother's father-in-law in Colorado. I was like, look at, the numbers, even in the, in the start of it, it's like that. Nope. And by the way, I don't trust mainstream media. I didn't before this, and anybody who does after this is a non-playable character. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> as I was already against the mainstream narrative in a way, like that, I was. I'm also. I'll also question anything way on the other side. You know, I was already at a question everything stance and all the symptoms that were out there, the people who are at risk, this, I'm like, cool. It's a, it's a more, maybe more severe case of the flu. Uh, and that was my take from, and 
I was most definitely, even in my family, I had, you know, my parents, my siblings, they sheltered in place for almost the whole time. You know, my parents were very, um, it was a while before they had us over for dinner again, even though we used to go over weekly for dinner. You know, it's, there was all this stuff that was like, yeah, well, I don't know. Should we really do this? Cause you know, social guilt and whatnot, like, yeah, or I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. So personally, I, I, um, in the whole sense of, you know, if you're not hurting somebody physically, intentionally harming someone with your own personal decisions and i'll take the projection way if i am not intentionally physically harming someone with my personal decisions i am all right with it and if somebody else is in a place of fear then they can make their decisions from that uh while there was still a mask order in illinois and like the first mask order before they lifted it and put it back on uh I was walking through a local grocery store early in the morning with no mask on because I'm down regulated. I'm breathing through my nose and I'm got a stronger immune system that way. The most people mouth breathing behind a mask, all scared in there. And <laughs> lo and behold, this uh, older corner and, oh, and this was when vaccines have been rolled out already. Um, and I walked by and he goes, do you to wear a mask? I was like, well, I had it. I'm immune. And like this dude went, boom, skyrocketed. And it's like, okay, cool. I've walked away. I'm like this. Anything I have to say is not going to be heard here. Everybody has their own stories that are shaping that perception. And the ironic thing being that the fear with which he was walking around and the quickness to which he went to anger and spiked his adrenaline was much worse for his immune system and his susceptibility to a virus than my being in there without a piece of paper over my face. And it's tragic that that I imagine will never be part of the conversation around health that is being had within the CDC, within the World Health Organization, because there's no profit behind that. You know, if everyone can take responsibility for their own immune system to downregulate, to nosebreed, then, you know, no one's going to to be caught into the wave of wanting that savior of a vaccine or wanting the, you know, the right, social distance and wear a mask and everything's going to be fine because, you know, these these arbitrary rules are in place versus like, oh, this is what I can do for myself and allow everyone else to moderate their own risk and to be in the world and take ownership over their own risk that they're engaging with. It's interesting. Critical thinking like that is scary though, right? Because even if you believe that there's more freedom on the other side of it, like your old self is going to go down kicking and screaming, like your old habits, your old beliefs, and the old uh, tendency to pass off that responsibility of your health to others that's scary because like oh what happens if i'm wrong then it was my fault what happens if they're wrong oh it's their fault projections make life very seemingly easy for people because to bridge that gap and jump on the other side of it and take ownership seems really hard until you do it and it's like oh okay this is what Rockefeller, I'm, I'm just going to go there. This is what Rockefeller meant when he said he wanted a nation of workers, not a nation of thinkers. 
They want everybody else to be responsible for their well-being. Yeah. So many directions that I could go there. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the the language game is something that you've you've made references to. We're both in lifted coaches, and I would like to go deeper into looking at how your word, you reference projections. There's also the negations, which are focusing on what can't, what isn't, what won't be. There's also soft talk, which, you know, weakens the, our goals and the time sensitive things in our lives. How have you found that that has helped you show up differently through all of this turmoil or perceived turmoil, turmoil that has been generated for the purposes of control and manipulation. Mm. The biggest thing is my ability to hold my beliefs and, and to also respect others' views uh, and respect their stories. Like I'm saying what I'm saying here and to somebody listening, maybe, wow, this guy's a, this guy's kind of a jerk. And no, I have good friends that still haven't traveled because they, they believe that it's not responsible to get on a plane and that's fine. These people's company, you know? Uh, so that's been the biggest thing because I've seen friendships and relationships and families implode over this thing because people get up and they're like, ah, oh, rah, rah, rah. You know, and it's like yelling. It's like all the right answers versus all the right questions and to take out the like, it is all the right answers versus all the right questions. And people get on and they start yelling about the answers that they see from their lens to the be on either side of it, as opposed to asking questions. And this goes back to what I touched for me. This goes back to what I touched on earlier around everybody wants their viewpoint around this shit to be understood as opposed to understanding the other side first, because, and this is an analogy I draw often. You engage from knowledge. You cannot be a good atheist without first reading the Bible. So how can you, you know, haven't at least taken a look at the other side? It's very hard to be accurately for your side because what if you're only on your side, you only have that information, you've been seeking confirmation bias. I love that you brought that up as an aspect of projections. One of the things that, so Rumi has this quote, to find God, you must become a heretic. And within all of our belief systems, like it's, it's really getting, bringing, coming back to the curiosity. It's like, all right, what, what within what I'm believing is potentially wrong? You know, um, Mark Twain says, it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you think you know that just ain't so. It's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you think you know. That just ain't so. And so when we can, you know, come back to becoming a heretic, becoming a heretic within our own belief system and have be radically responsible for what we're projecting onto other people, that level of self-inquiry and honestly, vulnerability is the cure to the polarization that we find ourselves in presently with, you know, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. It's like, all right, well, what, what is it that I want to take responsibility for based on what I find myself projecting in judgments onto other people? And from that space of curiosity is ultimately where I can come back to first compassion, 
love, acceptance for myself. And then that radiates out to other people of like, oh, okay, this is something you're in a fear space. And how can I have compassion for the fact that this is where you are right here, right now in your awareness, absent any judgment? And how can I show up in my interactions with you as you are chastising me for not wearing a mask or for not getting vaccinated and say, hey, okay, this is where you are and I am where I am. And anything that's being triggered in me when you say this is something that I can take responsibility for in the moment and downregulate, coming back to like, all right, I can take myself out of that upregulated space that's going to make me more susceptible to, you know, whatever um, virus or whatever bacteria or whatever um, external thing is trying to harm my immune system. And ultimately, again, take responsibility, breathing through the nose, deep into the belly, and that low and slow breath. 100%. That's, um, it w- I went to a concert with my family on Friday. And I, I, you know, my, my brother passed away last year. And my sister-in-law came with. She's been super awesome. We're all spent a lot of time together. And my sister-in-law and my father were hugging. And, and my, my dad kissed her on the head during a song. And, you know, and there was this long lines of... Oh, is that your wife? And it became very apparent real quick by that comment and a couple others. You know, she she blatantly said, she's like, well, that was inappropriate. What my dad had done by hugging and uh, giving a kiss on the head to my sister-in-law, who's much younger than him. And uh, what happened there, she, she made a couple other comments and my dad came over. I, I hadn't heard any of these, been present for it. And he explained it to her like, hey, listen, like that's my daughter-in-law. Her husband died, aka my son. Like, I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable. And what this woman said was, it's not me you should be apologizing to. You know, and the projections were just flowing here. And I, I walked between the two worlds of Chase on this one. You know, between the kid that used to get very, very angry and the super mindful guy who remembers that he has had a past life as a monk. And, uh, you know, she upset my father who gave CPR to his dying son like four months ago. So I'm going to go say something. I leaned over her shoulder. I was like, I don't know what pain you're dealing with or what you need to heal, but I suggest you do it because right now, you are projecting that hurt out onto the world on judgment on others. And in this case, someone who is here trying to connect after they lost their son and their husband in an extremely harsh way. So I suggest that you find a spot you can heal because right now it is making you come across as a very rancid person. And I walked away because there is a line there for me that I'm willing to step over every once in a while. Um, and I walked, I walked back to my dad he's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, if that big guy that was standing next to me said something, or, you know, then I could have used you, but I don't need you to do. I told him what I said. I was like, what I said was much more effective than any punch I could have landed on anybody in this building. And he's like, okay, you're right. Could I have been like, oh, she just has healing to do. I'll let my dad be in. Yeah, sure. And on the whole vein of like my grieving dad was upset and, you know, I'm going to deliver something. And hey, sometimes saying something 
know, maybe she goes and seeks a therapist and gets some healing done. Uh, either way. It's like Ramda says, love everyone and tell the truth. That tell the truth aspect is really important to round out the loving everyone. Because when you're able to tell the truth from a space of love, from a space of you know, compassionate awareness, as you did, which much of the time comes with some, some harsh truth, then it has so much more of an impact than just blowing up at her and saying, how the fuck dare you, which puts her in resistance to what you're saying. But when you're able to show up and say, look, like you, I imagine you are in a space of pain based on how you are in how you're showing up. And it would be in your best interest to deal with that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a really good language coach. I'm, <laughs> I'm a great mindset coach. Here's my number. That has so much more power than just saying, nope, fuck you and leaving it at that. So you, you've experienced a lot of depth and grief in your human experience recently. And in my perspective, you've done so with so much awareness and vulnerability in working through that and moving through that um, in the processing of it. What have been the biggest internal tools that have supported you through that? Yeah, biggest internal tools that have supported me. Uh, first one was breath, uh, the day of. Uh, when when Ian passed away, when I went to my parents' house and the paramedics were still working on him and originally announced him dead at the house. And then they got a pulse and took him to the hospital. Um, it was epinephrine induced. I'm I'm thoroughly convinced his his energy, his soul had left his body at the house. Um, and he was being kept a jeans for the next few hours. Uh, breath hugs with breath at the hospital to be there for my family. Someone would start sobbing. I'd walk up to him, give him a hug and I'd start breathing. Not, not negation knowledge. It was subtly, it was a subtle breath and it was low and slow. You know what would happen? The whole entrainment grandfather clocks in the shop thing. They'd stop sobbing. They start just crying. And then that cry would go to like, a, and then that would go big, deep breath. And my sister-in-law, actually, I recounted this on one of our Enlifted episodes, uh, where it was myself, Dave, and Kim. And my sister-in-law texted me after she listened to that episode. She's like, I, that was, those hugs were instrumental in getting through that day. Um, and then I got home and talked about awareness and ownership. I got home and I stood in my kitchen before we went back over to my parents that night. And I stood in my kitchen. I said, my brother died today. and I shook and I cried and I said it again and I said it again and I said it again until I could say it as flat and as owned as I said it just now. My brother died today because creating that awareness, creating that space allowed me to be extremely or, and I still got my world rocked uh, and didn't see it coming. Didn't know it was going to hit me like this. My uncle shows up, my dad's brother. The next, the next day. And uh, he gives my mom a hug. My dad walks into the room and he gives my dad a hug. And I, I like, I'm sitting, I'm standing, like my hand starts twitching on the couch. I'm like, oh, here it comes. And I went out to the garage and I, for like half an hour, just wrecked. 
I will never get a hug from my brother on this plane again. That would have been much worse if I had not taken the opportunity to own and have awareness over the whole situation the day of. You know, if I had tried to shove it aside and just, no, I'm not. Then I would have seen that hug and it, it would have sent me right there in the living room and it would have been a whole family ordeal as opposed to me being able to get out, you know, and then my sister came out and gave me a hug and she's an enlisted level two grad and a gangster and she helped me down off that. But being able to, if a story makes you uncomfortable, own it. And if you, if you say, oh, well, I own my story. Well, can you talk about them with little to no emotional up? Like, I'm sorry. I just talked about seeing my uncle hug my dad and my brother died uh, completely unexpectedly under who knows what kind of circumstances. And uh, I'm still dry in the face. Uh, so these tools allow me to continue carrying on my life as opposed to having a story wrapped around me thinking, oh, well, I owned it. No, you didn't. No, it's still wrapped around every fiber of your being. And you think you own it when really it's owning you. It's that like spiritual bypass of like, no, it's just love and light when deep inside we're just repressing that emotional turmoil and creating the suffering that is us being in resistance with reality. And what you're describing is socializing reality with the breath with connecting that mind awareness into the heart awareness of you know being present with what is with coming bringing our perception back into a space of oh shit i i'm going through some deep fucking heartache right now and how can I be in that and allow that to move through me? You know, every emotion fully felt is bliss, including the, the death of our brother. I, I lost my dad five years ago. And I remember similarly the experience of hugging people and entraining them to my breath. I hadn't gotten into the breath, into the story work yet. But I had done Wim Hof. I was deep into the breathwork journey and breathing into the sobbing and allowing them to settle into my rhythm and feel into that is, is a powerful, energetic experience, a gift to give someone to allow them to move through that emotion and, you know, go from the sobbing to the crying, to the just, you know, the sniffling and allowing them to really ground into what they're experiencing so they can find themselves on the other side of it. 100%. Um, when, you, when you talk on that, that you know, feeling felt all the way through, you know, the, the day after Ian passed like, yeah, I spent Saturday evening, you know, owning it. And then going back to my parents, being present and available for my family and our friends. And, and then I woke up the next day and I sobbed in bed. I, I had my, my big moment the day, the day after. And then I went and I ran a cold shower and I sat under it for like 10 minutes. Like, 
we're going to move forward now. You know, feel it, feel your, Ooh, this is, I'm so glad you brought that up because some people may take this out of context. I'm saying this like, oh, well, I can just own my shit. Never feel it. No, feel your feelings all the way through and leave them where they belong. That's so big for me. Like, leave it, leave it here. Carry the remembrance with you. But that, that, that grief, that, that, that. So many of our feelings, people drag through life. They're like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm supposed to feel bad. So I'm just going to always going to feel bad. Really? Like there's nothing good you could focus on in your day. So, yeah. It's the, the difference between being with processing and moving through. It's the difference between that and wallowing in. And the wallowing is really what puts us in a space of projecting it onto other people versus being responsible for it and allowing it to exist and be released as the emotion, the energy in motion of, you know, the death of a parent, the being triggered at the grocery store by someone chewing us out for not wearing a mask. And all of these triggers, be they big or small, are energy that exists in our body. And when we give ourselves that space to find ourselves on the other side of it, that's when we're free from projecting it onto the other person, onto anyone in our lives. Well said, brother. Well said. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, getting a little bit further into, you briefly touched on microdosing, psychedelics. Um, what, what has your more recent relationship been with plant medicine mushrooms, DMT, LSD, um, as you've integrated them into your life? Awesome question. Thank you for asking. We'll go like in the last year plus recent, because that's when things started really shifting this realm. Uh, a year and a couple of months ago, I had my first NN DMT. I had my first experience with 5-MeO-DMT a year and a few months ago. And I described that as the most beautiful experience. And I've had two more since then. And each one has been much, you know, even more, you know, the second, the second out of three, I didn't see source consciousness. I didn't like, I, I melted into the river of energy. I was, I like, and people say five isn't the rainbow river of energy. I was just, I was it. Um, and then the third one, this is the one that I've been integrating with microdoses since. Uh, I have not had any real macro doses since this. Um, you know, I've had a gram or maybe two grams of mushrooms, nothing too big. And uh, the third five experience, I was out there and I was plugged in to the power grid of the universe. Like it was the ultimate power the strongest force you could ever feel it was energy like i can i can shoot lightning bolts i can build and destroy worlds i can do whatever i want when i tap into this energy and as i grounded back into my body the sense of bliss and appreciation and gratitude came over me and i i, I still get hair standing up when i talk about this and that god level energy it washed over me with the bliss. I was like, that was love. The, that extreme, that was love. So tap that on top of the past lives and everything. 
of these have come together to now when it, with the microdosing, which I've been microdosing psilocybin on and off for about a year now. I'll go like three to four months at a time, take a little bit off and make sure I can fully integrate on my own. Um, and I, I've recently dabbled in microdosing LSD. LSD for me, for lack of a better term, still has a little bit more of an edge or like more of an up to it than psilocybin. For me, psilocybin gives me this fully present in myself. Uh, LSD for me, I can be present out of myself, if that's a fair distinction. Uh, so that, um, and, I, and I've been utilizing both for, for different avenues. And as of right now, I am currently, like in the last couple of weeks, I've set aside like a set protocol. I'm going more kind of by feel, less and less frequent, uh, because especially after that intuitive, you know, channeling session last week where I got knocked out of body with zero medicines, you know, and what some of the the masters of old will talk about, hey, you can go higher once you learn to do it without plant medicine. Uh, I'm considering uh, in the near future here a 30 day fast from everything and lots of meditation. I, I want to drop this theory on you, and I'm very interested in your thoughts on it. You know, say our energy is a baseline here, and with meditation or whatever, we can move that baseline up and up and up. Now, my experience as of recent and this, theory, this working theory is that we can take plant medicine and go up off our baseline and out of our, our current abilities, except for there's balance in everything. So when we come back down, we're going to go down below our baseline for a little bit. And then we'll come up and we might be a little higher. That would plant medicine. So our baseline improves. And if it took us this long and we went way up and way down and way up and a little up at the end, what if we could get there on a shorter timeline or a shorter slope, same timeline with meditation and introspective work? So that, that's, that's my working theory that plant medicines give us that up and that tap in. And then afterwards we're like, Ooh, okay. Got to rebuild that energy. I, I have certainly experienced that in the, the day after the, the period of um, like assimilation of, and I feel like so emotionally vulnerable the day after I've done a three and a half gram dose or even a microdose, like half a gram of mushrooms or 10 mics of LSD, I feel much more sensitive to the world. And I was talking with a friend of mine who facilitates ayahuasca. And she says that it's important to take a break from the medicine and the ayahuasqueros, the curanderos, they get to a point where they don't even need the medicine. And the their theory is the medicine you when you take the medicine you are giving your power over to the medicine and that opens you up to receiving the wisdom of it and ultimately to really reclaim and you know claim your own personal power it's to all right how do i access the all of the wisdom that i've received in integrating it in my life so that i am in all of the power and wisdom that I've received from these plants in, in the present, in my, you know, my mind, absent anything. hundred percent, man. That's yeah. I, I'm 
right there. That's a really cool way to say it, that you're handing your power over to the plant and that, yeah, when you can, when you can be in full control of your power, that that's magic, man. And, and another thread that I started pulling on yesterday, um, karmic stuff, the more you claim your own power stuff seems to come around a lot quicker, like law of attraction kind of. So I'm leaving a parking lot yesterday on the way to my parents for dinner. And this guy blows this stop sign in front of me across traffic. And I honk at him, laid on my horn. Little on down the road, I'm at a red light and the car next to me turns right. So I go straight and I get honked at because I blew the red light because the cars across from me had a green arrow. Like 60 seconds later, it came back around to find me the exact same scenario. And it, it's, it's so, I would say it's mind blowing if I, if it wasn't <laughs> like, uh, it, it, the, it, as you lean into and you realize that reality is magic, the more that you grasp that, the more that it comes full circle so much faster. Yeah. I was having this conversation. It was actually in our um, our coaching conversation, our prayer for future generations conversation with Jamie Suss, who is another story work coach. He's in Ecuador. And he we were talking about um, transmuting our karma, which is the the cause and effect into our Dharma, which is you know our path, the lessons that are converted through this alchemical process of our integration into our path. And so the synchronicities, when we, when we do that are going to show up in the form of, you know, you honking at a person and then 60 seconds later, you get honked at in the exact same scenario and you finding humor and beauty in that of like, Oh, that was my lesson. And I get to exercise compassion when the next person blows a stoplight or something like that. That that's what's coming up for me in like how do we do that alchemy? How do we convert the the cause and effect that we're seeing that can be painful for us if we're not in this space of radical ownership of our language, of our thoughts, of our imagination, of our feelings and our actions? And how do we convert that into our path so that we are showing the fuck up as the light that is embodied that then people can attune to within their own rhythm their own seeking mm. yeah well i mean you said it man in the the ownership of ourselves this is why i've remained a fitness guy because part of that for me is like if this is the meat suit through which energy flows then it's the conduit and the conduit needs to be able to flow it needs to be conductive so it and this is a rabbit hole and fast food, sedentary lifestyle, it turns you on conducive being and you have zero room for energy to flow. So as you take care of your physical self and also own your words, own your emotions, have full awareness around your thoughts, feelings, and actions, you combine those two and you are like, I don't know what's the most conductive metal out there. You are that the copper lightning rod for all that is good for the the positivity, um, because you are attuned to that energy and can fully receive it and then take it in and hold it. You know we're expanding 
our capacity to hold that energy when we do this work in improving our bodies and improving our language and connecting to the past lives and developing the connection with our ancestors, with our guides, with our soul. And in expanding our capacity to hold that energy, we then are the conductor that is able to, to use it and show up for the people that we care about most when we're in a time of deep grief for our clients, for our partners, all of these people um, in our lives, we then get to show up as this greater version of ourself in this expanded capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there. Boom. Mike has been dropped. Beautiful brother. It has been a joy to have you on and um, super excited that just found out that you are going to be a father. I'm very excited that, um, that you get to have this experience. What, what has taking in that knowledge done for you? It gives me a whole new place to channel all of the, my, my, my father has talked about, you know, the goal is that your kids are better parents than you. And I actually like had the thought early on, we, right after we found out we were pregnant, wife was pregnant, that whole we're pregnant thing is interesting to me. Um, and, and had that thought that, wow, like a lot of people are saying, you guys are gonna be such good parents. You're so, you know, you guys are so this and that. And I'm like, yeah. And this kid's gonna like the starting point that this kid has, they're going to be light years ahead of me by the time they're 20, like light years ahead of me. Because if I have anything to say about it, there's going to be little to no like parental trauma to clear. It's going to be all growth. So I mean, rocket ship, like absolute rocket ship. And that's my plan. You know that they can create their own reality. And we, we both had this process within the Enlifted Ancestors specialty course of the prayer for future generations. How was that experience of speaking out everything that you wanted to create for this human being um, into the physical realm? That was awesome. I, you know, after I did my, my peer to peer call and I wrote that one go, you know, while we were on the call and Mark gave us time to write it and I, I put it away and I wrote it back. I was like, Oh, damn, I'm good. This is good. And I, I called Sarah up here uh, after I got off my peer-to-peer -peer call. And I read it to her and to baby. And you know, she read my mind. Shocking, because we tend to do that with each other. Let's get that framed and put it up in baby's room. All, all that, look, your dad's a philosopher and he gave you some life advice, um, is going to be put up on their wall. I love that. That is so beautiful. If you could get one piece of advice to someone who is looking to move from a space of scarcity, a space of contraction, a space of triggering into a space of abundance and creation, what would that piece of advice be? Seek the questions that you don't know to ask. Seek the questions that you don't know to ask. Yep. What up, fam? It was around this point that the audio quality got very poor as a result of the connection. So I will summarize Chase's point that we must look deep within ourselves and 
do that self-exploration to figure out what questions we don't yet know to ask, and then ask them of ourselves, and be willing to be radically honest with ourselves in that journey. I imagine that this conversation was proof that Chase truly is a mystical giant. He is also a brother whom I love dearly, so check him out on Instagram at coach underscore chase underscore Tollison. He's also getting more and more active on TikTok um, via the primal.man.pathway, the, his website, chasetollison.com. And he also has his Primal Man Pathway 12-week lifestyle fitness mindset program that will help you get both jacked and at the same time learn to love the person that you see in the mirror. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. And if this resonated with you, I invite you to go on to Spotify or Apple and rate, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend who may need to hear this message. Love y'all.